Hello and welcome to Frankly We Give a Damn About Movies, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and joining me as always, we have Matt. Hey, Mike. And Jim. Hello. How are we doing this week, gents? Oh, pretty good. How are you? I'm just hanging. Before we check out what's happened this week in the world of movies, what did we watch this week? I've seen literally nothing. I've watched no movies this week, uh, and I don't think that makes me less of a person. <laughs> and that's why we have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I uh, I rewatched Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Actually, how good is that? It is a fantastic film that I think just subsequent rewatches it just keeps getting better and better. Well, I got um, the 25th anniversary of Scream in 4K nice. delivered to me in a beautiful steelbook, so I gave that a watch, and it was spectacular. But what we all actually watched together, and we just came from it, is Last Night in Soho, which we will unpack towards the end of the episode. But before we hop onto that... Production company Miramax has sued Quentin Tarantino for the upcoming auction of a series of Pulp Fiction-themed NFTs. Don't be a bitch! Tarantino announced it would auction a series of never-before-seen items from the film in the form of NFTs, including the famous Royale with Cheese handwritten screenplay scene. They call it Royale with Cheese. The auction would utilise a blockchain called The Secret Network, which would allow the content of these NFTs to be secret until the sale of the item. After filing the cease and desist, Miramax affirms that while Tarantino has the rights to print any publication of the script, NFTs are not a part of this. The big release in the US this week is Ghostbusters Afterlife, which unfortunately we won't be seeing until New Year's Day here in Australia. The highly anticipated sequel's box office numbers for the opening weekend are looking very strong, with the film pulling an estimated $40 million. The film also opened with a very strong audience reception of 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. It seems that you can't look up movie news on Google right now without coming across some sort of news about the new Spider-Man. Last week, it was rumoured that the runtime for Spider-Man No Way Home would be 2 hours and 39 minutes long, making it the longest Spider-Man film to date. It had also been confirmed to be the first Phase 4 movie to not be censored in China. But for some reason, the internet has now become a web of leaks. First beginning with a phone-recorded teaser, then posters on Brisbane buses, and now alleged leaked images featuring the three Spider-Man are slowly making the rounds. It is still unclear if these images are real or Photoshop, but many signs point to them being legitimate. With the release of the most recent trailer, it appears that it may have been edited to not reveal certain plot points. Most importantly, the inclusion of the first two live-action Spider-Man. This theory heavily supports the film that has been shrouded in secrecy, but is all the supposed leaks a clever marketing plan, or is someone in Sony not doing their job right? What do we think, boys? I absolutely agree. I believe that um, it has certainly been edited. I mean, it's an amazing-looking trailer, but I definitely feel like they have cut out characters to try and hide that they have certainly got them in the movie. They're playing 5D chess with us, honestly, boys. I think it's a bit rude, uh, if I'm being quite quite uh, upfront, but 
I mean, it's all part of the game, really. It's all part of the fun of marketing, and um, I think overall it will make for a better movie in the long run. Well, you also got to look at the fact that we didn't get a poster until well two, three weeks ago, and the movie comes out next month, which is a very, very, very rare for a movie to release, let alone a poster. And it got so bad to the point that we we saw cinemas overseas using fan-made posters. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's. It's poor. I think this. I think it's poor, and I quite frankly, I think it's uh, unfair on cinema owners, if anything, because um, it's a massive movie, which is probably going to be one of the biggest movies of the year. It'll be up there with Bond, um, and cinemas. It's taken cinemas so long to be able to actually market the film. Yeah, just like the, the lack of usable material for them has been incredibly like just a s- small amount that they, you know, they're going to be struggle to promote the film with such a short period of time until it actually releases. It's quite the opposite effect of, um, of what you found when they released The Amazing Spider-Man 2. They actually released about 40 minutes of that movie um, previously before the film actually came out. So it's quite funny to see this is just completely the other direction. Um, we've seen very little. and I'm, I mean, I'm excited. I'm fully on board for this marketing strategy. I think it's a bit of fun and uh, I'm keen to see what they come up with. Well, Spider-Man doesn't come out until the 17th of December. Next week, we'll see a release of Boss Baby, Family Business, and Venom, Let There Be Carnage. But this week, as we mentioned briefly before... Last Night in Soho came out this week and we went to saw it all together. Yeah, we, we uh, went on a lovely, lovely excursion. A movie date. Boys night. Boys day. Well, it was a boys, boys day. afternoon. Yeah. What did we think? Absolutely beautiful. Fantastic. Um, Honestly, probably one of the best shot, best colour edited and also just like in camera use. Um, you know, the costuming, the makeup. All the set design was absolutely just like beautiful. Some of the best I've seen of this year. I, I loved it. I really did enjoy it. Um, um, we're all massive fans of Edgar Wright here. We um yes. we love his work. And um, my biggest issue with it is that it doesn't know what it wants to be. It lacks identity. It's come across as a drama thriller, and it is a drama thriller. It still is that, but. Edgar Wright tends to try and be more of a horror director at some point, which, according to the ending, makes sense, which we won't spoil, but um, it makes sense to some extent, but it should have stuck with that whole crime thriller aspect, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I feel like it almost it almost reminds me, it harkens back a little bit to Inglorious Bastards with Tarantino, where he was very self-indulgent in the film. Like, he wanted to make a certain film. Um, he Like, not that that didn't lack any direction or anything, but, like, I felt like that was very much Tarantino at his peak Tarantino. This feels like very Edgar Wright doing what he wants, but maybe, you know, losing the film a little bit in the indulgence of it. can't say I fully agree with you both. I mean, I do understand where you're coming from, but I think for me personally... Um, it did quite uh, blur those genres together in a way that I felt was quite deft. I think it handled it pretty well. Um, I can obviously understand how you can see those two different um, sides of it conflicting. Um, but 
I don't know. Edgar Wright is such a premium, premium filmmaker that um, I think he's handled it well here. Um, and even if, you know, there does slip up in a few few instances, uh, overall, the film, in just terms of a pure filmmaking aspect, is um, quite phenomenal, really. Um, I think it's definitely something that needs to be seen. Do you think, maybe, Jim, do you think Matt and I are only saying this because we're expecting something from Edgar Wright? I think there's definitely expectations, um, you know, when a director has done such good work in the past, uh, especially when his work has been pretty uniform, I would say, um, consistent with everything else that he's done previously, whereas this is quite a departure. Um, and you're look, you're always going to compare it to things that people have done previously. But that, look, taken just by itself in a, in a sort of vacuum, I think it's really, really, really stood out for me this year. Um, in a year that I think, you know, there hasn't been that many standouts. So I'm pretty, pretty happy to have gone and seen it today. Well, we did briefly when we walked out of the cinema. We briefly, Matt raised the point: where would we rate this on a on Edgar Wright's movie releases? Yeah. So then I kind of said, well, like World's End would be his worst movie, but it's not the worst. The, yeah, I see Edgar Wright. As... It's it's not it's not bad. Yeah, it's not a bad movie, but um, it's just not his strongest movie. Yeah. Edgar Wright, I feel like Edgar Wright. Um, it's almost in a similar vein to the Marvel films. Edgar Wright does not make a bad film necessarily. He has stronger films and he has weaker films. He has films that, you know, relate to certain audiences better than other films do. But at the end of the day, Edgar Wright is a very, very apt and competent director, writer, producer. You know, the use of his editing and special effects in a lot of his films are normally top grade, like some of the best in the industry. Which in Last Night at Soho has, it was probably some of the best I've seen when it comes to his camera work. Yeah. When, um, just cinematography and everything was just beautiful. Oh, Set design, yeah. stunning. Costume design, stunning. Even the audio mixing yeah. was really good. I and did notice that, yeah. yeah. Like the, the mix for it was amazing. There were so many scenes where you're just in a room. You felt transported to 1960s London in a dingy club. Thanks to the help of the soundtrack, of course, as well, which was phenomenal. I think one of his strongest. And as you just briefly heard, Downtown by Anya Taylor-Joy um, is an amazing cover. And yes. she is an amazing actress. And oh my God. She was standout. She was in amazing. The really quite phenomenal. I also think um, newcomer, Thomas McKenzie, um, really held her own. Um, mm-hmm. She's she's really come up in the last couple of years uh, in, you know, obviously, Jojo Rabbit and uh, even that recent Ed Might Shyamalan movie. Old. Um, old. Really fantastic actress, and I'm excited to see her getting more kind of like work uh, going forward. But do you know who I'd love to see? Your favourite man. The Doctor himself, Matt Smith. He was amazing. He was so good. He, honestly, yeah, he very much brought a lot to a character that I felt played by a less competent actor may have felt very flat. I don't think I've ever been more intimidated by a skinny English man before <laughs> in my life. He was, uh, he was pretty frightening. He honestly. was genuinely like scary at points. I was... Like, I was getting shocked being like, oh my God, this man is doing this thing. It's amazing. And of course, we know Matt Smith from Doctor Who. And that's the hardest thing, I reckon, for Matt Smith is breaking that idea of the character. Like, when you first see him, you think, oh, the Doctor's there. But he did it so... Like, he just... I've never seen him act like that before. And no. it was a really good performance. Very solid performance. I know when he was first on the screen, I kind of said to Matt, "Mike, oh, maybe the best supporting." But then as it kind of went, I'm like, uh, "It's great, but it's not amazing." Yeah. But um, do you know who does deserve a nomination for that? What's her name? 
Thomas McKenzie. Thomas McKenzie. <laughs> As best support. You reckon she'll be a supporting actress? She was saying lead. She was lead. She was lead, yeah. She was lead. She'll get a yeah, okay. okay, I was just, I was like, I was she'll a bit confused there because you were leading in with talking about him being supporting, but no, absolutely. She'll be. If, if she doesn't get a nomination, at least. Look, the for... Academy does love a pseudo uh, schizophrenic role, I must mm-hmm. say. And I mean, we are coming up to award season. We are coming up to award season. Terrence Stamp. Uh, I actually did not realize he was still alive, but I'm glad to see him here. He was great in his role. He was. Again, a really threatening old dude. Yeah. Haven't been more threatened by an old man before in quite some time. Edgar Wright has the um, sort of, how do I put it? Uh, his directorial touch is spoiling a movie during the movie. Yeah, right he, te- in front of he you. tells you what's going, he tells you, if you know what you're looking for, he tells you exactly what's going to happen in the film during the film. But like you subconsciously will forget about it as it continues. And what he did really well in this is he made it he made it very obvious, but at the same time, he he he, he pretended he made it obvious, yeah. and then flipped it on his head. Yeah, mm. he was like, "I know what you're thinking exactly." So I'm going to play into that, play into your assumption of what this film is going to be, and then on a dime just. You know, snap, change it. It's not what you thought at all. He's playing 5D chess, that's what I must say. Yeah. <laughs> He's on a different plane. I think I would be quite interested in learning who the uh, production designer and more specifically the costume designer of this film is because obviously it is a film heavily influenced by fashion and um, I just feel like, based on what I've seen here, there must have been an incredibly collaborative experience between both the director and the costume designer to sort of recreate this look because it is so... I mean, not having grown up in the 60s, I can't say whether it's faithfully recreated, but um, it's just such a striking, striking um, look to the film. Everyone looks either just like a hundred bucks or just like a slimy, horrible, you know, person. But uh, it's it's it, that for me was one of the big things. And because the film was about fashion, I, always, I also felt that that was quite important. Now, Edgar Wright is by far considered an ambitious director. Would we consider this his most ambitious movie? Oh, just in terms of like the change up of style, one hundred percent. I would argue that perhaps uh, Scott Pilgrim might hold that title. Um, just in terms of the pure style of that film, yeah, um, it, it really is quite a bizarre movie. Um, I mean, all of his movies do have a level of b- bizarreness to it, but Scott Pilgrim for me was just whack. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, I definitely feel in terms of production. Not that his other films don't have a fantastic production quality, but I felt like this was on another level. There were scenes where you're like in the streets of London in 1960, and it looked exactly what you picture when you thought of it. It doesn't look like it was on the green screen. It looked like everything was done in camera. The lights were looking amazing. The cars, everything about it looked like it should have been shot in that era. Well, it's just a beautiful movie to look at in general. Even those scenes of sort of quote-unquote horror, I was just like captivated by what I was seeing on screen. And what I was... wanted to look away, but I, I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and what was really, really interesting that I found was, um, or really good to look at, um, there's a dancing scene oh. where we first introduced to Matt Smith and um, Annie Taylor-Joy's characters, yep. um, uh, Jack and uh, Sandy where they were dancing and Sandy, who was the, the uh, 60s girl, and then Ellie, who was the, the present day the girl, the present day girl, keeps switching out in the scenes. And it's 
literally they've recorded this scene in one take and they're just using camera um, camera like they're, they're mm. using camera blocking to I mean, honestly, the the choreography and camera work of that scene would have been impressive enough, even if they weren't switching out. Oh, exactly. Um, but the fact that they were, it's just it's on another level. And it's, it's just it's just a beautiful movie, and mm. like, I do, I do, uh, honestly, this would be one of my favorite movies of all time if it wasn't if it didn't lack identity for me. Mm. And I'll, I'm gonna keep saying it. It doesn't know what it wants to be. I would say. It's not that it lacks identity. I think it has identity in spades. I think a he knew what vibe he wanted, and it's more of a mood piece rather than a like an overarching story. I mean, obviously the story is there, but you can definitely tell like it's a style movie. Like he went into mm-hmm. this wanting to recreate a time, a place, and a feel. Um, and I think he hundred percent succeeded in that. Absolutely, yeah. Would we want to see another Edgar Wright thriller? I'll watch anything he does. Yeah, honestly, like, <laughs> if Edgar Wright's attached to a film, I'm hands down happy to see it, pay money for it. Edgar Wright could do time. a documentary about the history of refrigerators and I would be there for it. But would we want to see him do another thriller? Yeah, yeah, yeah straight uh, up. Honestly, like, you know, he can take everything that he's learnt from this production and then just turn that to 11. Because we know he's doing a Baby Driver 2 that he's currently working on. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, that was announced a few years back. Yeah, oh my he's God. currently working on that. Crazy. Um... But um, it's been a bit of a flop um, last night in Soho. It's the critic reviews haven't been too good. True. Um, it's not doing too well. Um, monetary wise, box office numbers haven't been doing the best. I wouldn't have expected it. To, no, to be it's because it, it it is it's a a film. It's just I I said to Matt, it's a cinephile's wet dream. Yeah, that that was your exact <laughs> my exact uh, words. Quote, yeah, a cinephile's wet dream. It is a bizarre film, and I think that's something. Whenever we see movies like that, audiences don't tend to react to it that great. I think those kinds of films really only pick up steam when they do get things like nominations for awards and stuff like that. People sort of pick up on that, and that's when they become sort of more popular. We may see a February re-release if it, if it does well at the award season or be, something like that. I would be curious to see if it does get a re-release. Um, another thing, uh, when talking about Edgar Wright, which I always found very interesting, was his previous release to this um, Baby Driver, its box office takings was greater than every other one of his films released combined. Um, I that either. Yeah, which is kind of insane to think about that one film. Yeah. I will... I The reason for that is because if you look at the distribution of Baby Driver compared to Last Night in Soho. Last Night in Soho is technically an indie movie. Well, I, I wasn't comparing this to Last Night in Soho. Oh no, no, but I'm I'm just I'm I'm just in terms of Edgar Wright movies. Yeah. But um So it has a much much less, smaller budget. Yeah. Plus also the way it's been marketed. Mm, true. Well, um Baby Driver's marketed as a big action blockbuster. Yeah. I mean it wasn't really that much of a big action blockbuster, but it was still. I mean, it had really, some, you know, it's iconic. Got, it still had, yeah, yeah it had iconic had action scenes, but it very much like you wouldn't put it on par with, you know, an Avengers film or a Fast and Furious. No, um, Last Night in Soho in Australia only got its release this week in Australia. Officially, it had been attached to the Brisbane International Film Festival for the past month, mm. and it released a month ago in in the US and the UK and everywhere mm. because it's being marketed as a film festival movie. And that's what I think its issue is as well. It is a good movie that people, I that I think a regular, if someone a regular person that enjoys a good psychological thriller, 
would wants to see wants to see a movie like that. I reckon they walk in and they go, "That um, I was pleased with that." Yeah, absolutely. But the issue with it being marketed is that it's being marketed as a film festival movie, which defers a lot of your everyday cinema goer. Yeah, I feel like it does very much uh, like bring the gates up for your general audience. Like they're gonna go thinking they're expecting some high concept art film, when you know I'm not going to downplay the film but like it isn't the most complex no. of ideas no and it's like they're like I'm not spoiling it but there there is a twist um and it was easy enough to understand it was it's just it wasn't one of those M. Night Shyamalan type movies no. that you know you have to watch it like five times and realise you still yeah. don't know what the hell's going on it doesn't flip you on your head at the end exactly yeah no um look the only way you could really market this film to mass audiences would be as a straight up kind of horror movie i think that's how you get butts in seats but um i think that would do the film a little bit of a disservice to be it honest. definitely would it, it would have but also at the same time i went into it expecting a thriller and it gave me more horror vibes okay yeah Did, was that disappointing oh no <laughs> not not disappointed but more just kind of like i mean yeah kind of disappointing okay I, 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 if i'm gonna put a number on it i'd give it an 8.5 I really, I really, really, really did like the movie. The style, the tone, just the only thing that just got me was just, it's still, it's blurring the line between horror and thriller, which most people will will often assume that the same thing when really they're not. They're two different massive genres. Yeah. But um, it was phenomenal. It was really good. I loved it. Just that one, that one thing is giving, I would have given it a 9, yeah. 9.5. Like I really did enjoy it that much, but um, that's the one thing that was holding it down for me. The more I think about it, the more I uh, the more I struggle to actually find flaws in it. And I was interested by that um, that quote you said before about uh, Baby Driver's earnings. Uh, I would be interested to know what the difference in budgetary, like what the budgets of these two films were. Because uh, to me personally, like this movie looks a million dollars. Baby Driver, while not an ugly movie, um, you know, it just it looked a bit more flat and less dynamic than this film. I, I honestly, like, this movie was, like, for me, a step up in um, just just cinematic visuals. I do have the numbers here. So the budget for Baby Driver was, um, I mean, obviously, you know, when they say the the official budget, it's not the entire story. It's, you know, the head marketing and all that on top. The budget for Baby Driver was $34 million US dollars, mm-hmm. and the budget for Last Night in Soho was $43 right. million. Right. So, you know, you got, you know... Almost, you know, an extra ten grand there. Mm, I mean, I sorry, ten million <laughs> to use there. Just ten grand? <laughs> no, an extra ten million. You could use that to feed the uh, feed the caterers. You know? Yeah, well, <laughs> but when you think about it, ten million dollars, that's still a lot of money. That's almost what like uh, I don't want to do the quick math in my head, but it's I, a decent chunk of change extra to add to it's your a film. Lot of money. I guarantee all of that went into the production design. Like honestly, oh, like, uh, the amount of money you need to recreate. A time period is yeah. been, like massive, and also I think a lot of that also probably went into their post production budget because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there was going to be a lot of rotoscoping. They used Your... a lot of mirror shots, a lot of reflections that weren't a hundred percent faithful to what was in the real world. Mm. There has been some behind the scenes stuff that actually um, has come out. Um, a lot of those mirror scenes were weren't mirror scene like they were they were done in camera. They were done in camera. I mean, good for them. Like, absolutely. Like, the more stuff you can do in camera, the better better, it can look, you know. Less work in the back end, you know. More time spent telling your story instead of, you know, focusing your funds on trying to fix mistakes that you could have done on set. Mm. I've given my final thoughts. 
What are yours? Yeah, look, it's a film that uh, took me a little bit by surprise. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did, even though I absolutely love Edgar Wright's previous work. Um, I don't know. I wasn't as excited about this. It just didn't. The trailers didn't grab me. Um, but after watching it, I honestly think, yeah, it's it's definitely up there for me. Not one of the better movies of the last couple of years. Um, right there with Knives Out, The Gentleman. Um, yeah, the style, honestly, the style, any movie that really captures a feel and just a look for me, that's, that's what gets me excited. So, um, yeah, I would, I would, I'm not going to give it a number rating, but I would definitely recommend go seeing it. Yes. I absolutely love this film. I thought it was honestly probably the best film I've seen of the year. Um, which, you know, in a smaller year, it hasn't been too bad. One quick thing before we do close off uh the cinematographer for last time so is also doing the obi-wan kenobi series hell yeah so just you know keep that in mind when getting excited for that don't hang around and let your problems surround you there are movie shows that has been frankly we give a damn about movies the podcast but before we sign off Next week, we'll be chatting about Venom 2, which has been out already for two months in the US. Such a long time. <laughs> um, and basically had the whole movie pretty much spoiled yeah. so far. I don't know about you, gents, but... um, I know the um, big ending, so, you know, yeah, it's, other than that... It is what it is. Australia's I mean, release schedules are just... It's trash. kind of ridiculous. Like It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we get it on Thursday next week, and it comes out in digital on Tuesday. So... Yeah. People are going to be pirating that thing, I reckon. I feel like Sony has certainly shot themselves in the foot with the release schedule, especially here in Australia. As long as they don't do it with Ghostbusters. Yeah, well, I've been Jim. I've been Matt. And I've been Mike. And frankly, we give a damn about movies. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.